We've been to all four corners of Britain in our quest to interview the great and good of entertainment. Comics, actors, writers, politicians, singers, dancers and choreographers. It doesn't matter who they are. They've all given me their own take on the world they live in and have, in their own way, helped to define what makes Britain great. So join me and my assistants as we get another insight into the marvellous and enigmatic world of showbiz here on Beyond the Title. Writer, actress and comedian Issy Suti first won national acclaim for her portrayal of the quirky IT technician in the seminal post-millennium sitcom Peep Show alongside David Mitchell, Robert Webb and Olivia Colman. Making her stand-up debut in 2003, Suti has become one of Britain's leading comedy musical acts and in 2007 performed her one-woman show Love Lost in the British Rail Industry, which she took on a nationwide tour and to Sydney. Suti has written and appeared in many shows on BBC Radio, including her own BBC Radio 4 series Izzy Suti's Love Letters, which began in 2013. She is also a regular presenter of the Comedy Club on BBC Radio 4 Extra and has acted in two of Tim Key's radio shows. I caught up with a British comedian to talk heroes, comedy and her hopes for an exciting future in entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Izzy Suti. So you graduated from the Guildford School of Acting in 2000 and you went on to work in theatre in various ways. Tell us a little bit about that and also how that offered you a grounding in the arts where you were able to build upon throughout your career. Well, when I graduated um, from drama school, I didn't have an agent and I didn't have any agent interest. So we all did a showcase in the third year where we had to do like monologues and duologues and everything. And because the internet didn't exist then, because it was 2000, that's hard to remember now, but it didn't. And we all had paper CVs that we put out. So after the showcase, the agents would all go and look at our CVs, which were in alphabetical order and it was so nerve wracking because we were all watching the agents sort of walk past our CVs and maybe pick one up and maybe not. And I asked my friend Amy to put out between 20 and 25 of my CVs, but not tell me how many. So I wouldn't know if any had gone. But at the end, I went and looked and there were 24. And I thought, well, maybe one's gone. And then I said, how many did you put out? And she said, you asked me not to tell you. And I said, no, tell me. And she said, I put 24. So when I graduated, um, like a lot of actors, actually, I was kind of on my own um and I did a lot of different day jobs like I was a cleaner for a long time I worked in a call center lots of different call centers um and I think in a way that did me good because it wasn't easy um and when I did Marit Saad which was probably one of the first things that I did when I graduated that was at the Arcola Theatre in North London they lost the um rights to the music not not the lyrics but the actual sort of melodies I think the night before we started rehearsals or basically they were going to be charged and it was too expensive so they said oh Izzy you write music don't you and I was like well yeah I've written songs on guitar for a long time they were like well you write all the music for it so stuff like that happened that was actually really cool and I was scared but um I think in a way sometimes when someone asks you to do something at the last minute and you're kind of put on the line it's better because you haven't really got time to think about it. So you just say yes, and then you do it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think really not having an agent and having to really fight for parts and having to put myself up for things 
really helped me and made me diversify what I do rather than just going along to auditions and saying the lines and being out of control of whether I got the part or not. Yeah. Okay. Uh, normally, uh, actors are sort of reluctant to reveal themselves to an audience without that sort of interaction with theatre. Um, in 2003, you made somewhat of a brave move into stand-up comedy. In your opinion, what was the correlation between acting, theatre and the stand-up stuff? Um, I'd always done, like, when I was growing up, I used to write little sketches and do them with my friends and my sister. And I'm sure if, like, camera phones and YouTube had been around then, I probably would have put them up. And they would probably be really embarrassing to watch now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I also wrote songs for about the age of probably 11 or 12, um, which were often kind of, I suppose, comedy songs or silly songs at the very least, where I used to do different accents and stuff like that. So acting was always the main aim, but I had this sideline of writing music and being in bands. And so for me, it wasn't such a big step into comedy because when I was at drama school, I was doing kind of comedy songs at gigs within the college and stuff like that. And I was going out with another stand-up for quite a while um, in the early noughties. So I ended up going to see a lot of stand-up, probably more than even a comedy lover sees in their lifetime because he worked almost every night. And that probably helped a lot because I saw lots of different acts and I was like, oh, I'd, I'd like to give this a go. And um, I kind of fell in love with it. I think it's it's harder than it looks to do stand-up in the way that people don't realise. Like, people are often really just scared because they think it must be so awful if you do badly. But when you do badly, that can be such a learning curve that when you're addicted to it, you're so interested in why a joke didn't work that although it can hurt, there's there's a learning element to it. I think the hard thing is finding your voice as a stand-up, and I think that takes years. And if you're an actor, I think in a way it can be harder because you're used to saying other people's lines and you're used to, like, pretending to be other people, basically. And you have to kind of learn how to be a distilled version of yourself, which is, like, the funniest version of you, which is quite different from being a part. Whereas you get people like, say, Rob Beckett, who didn't train as an actor, worked on a market stall, was very funny and very cheeky. In a way for him, he's kind of developed his persona in that environment. I'm not saying he then could immediately transfer it onto stage, but it's a very different route. I think the other thing that can be hard is if you're very well known as an actor and you start doing stand-up, like Joe Thomas from The Inbetweeners has recently started doing stand-up and I saw him and he was great. And I thought it's it must mean he really wants to do it because people are going to recognise him from the in-betweeners and they've got these expectations. But he's probably addicted like I was and he just doesn't want to stop doing it. Yeah, so really it's much easier to go the other way around from comedy to acting instead of acting to comedy, would you say? I think Ricky Gervais did it as well, didn't he? Like He was really established when he started doing stand-up. Yeah. Um, I would say that I would have found it harder to be... If I'd got peep show you know I've been doing stand-up since 2001 and I got peep show in 2008 I think so I'd already been doing stand-up for a long time if I'd already become known for being an actor 
and then tried to do it, I think I personally would have found it a lot harder because of the pressure of people recognising you. Whereas when you go up, you know, when I did my first Edinburgh show and no one knew who I was at all, I was just a girl getting on stage with a guitar and then it's just you and your wits kind of against the audience. And that's really exciting. Whereas if people already know who you are, I think there's a different expectation that they come in with. Yeah. Yeah. Josh just asked, um, how did you feel about the comedy community at that time? Was it a welcoming environment? Yeah, it really was. Like, I was used to doing open mic music nights because of being in bands and doing the music as well at the same time. So I used to go along to these open mic music nights and they were much more competitive and you had to bring a certain amount of people sometimes in order to go on. So you'd be like ringing around your mates going, I know you've seen me like 18 times this year already, but please can you come and watch this music night or they're not actually going to let me on stage whereas comedy there are a few comedy nights that run like that which I think is really bad um but generally it's easier for promoters to get audiences in I think to a new at comedy night so they tend to go ahead even if there's only like three or four people in the audience and you get used to performing to that many really early on I think for my second gig there was a, like a dog in the audience and maybe two people and that was it but I sort of look like I love looking back on those days because it, there is a really good feeling um, between comics generally. Of course, you get exceptions, but generally, generally there's ro- room for everyone and it's a meritocracy. If you keep doing well and you develop a good five minutes, 10 minutes, then a 20 minute set, which is what everyone's aiming for to get a really good 20 minutes, then you can start to do the clubs. And it takes years normally. Um, if you're generally good, And that doesn't mean that you do well at every gig, but just that you develop as a comic and you enjoy it and that you, I suppose, have more good gigs than bad gigs. Um, You'll probably be all right and you'll probably earn a living from it. Whereas with music, it felt like someone could do really well and no one would really know why. And then other people I used to see again and again who were amazing and they wouldn't get signed or they wouldn't. So, yeah, there is because of the fact that there is kind of room for everyone, or at least there was when I started, I think a lot more people are trying to do it now. So maybe it's not quite the same, but you make friends really quickly. And, and it's just, it's, it's really exciting. It's, there's so much adrenaline because you're getting to gigs and you can't believe you're going to go on. Sometimes the audiences can be really difficult at those, I suppose, the sort of earlier end of the circuit where you're doing new at nights. And maybe even if you're going on and doing, five minutes in a big Saturday night gig you're known as like the new act and it can be so nerve-wracking but then when it goes well your your veins are just full of so much adrenaline and you tend to have a drink with the other comics and stuff or even just go home and go oh my god I did it and it's um it's so exciting Mm. and generally shares in that excitement yeah excellent um so with that in mind, who were your comedy heroes growing up? Well, I was trying to think about the, this the other day. Um, there were people, the things that I used to watch on telly were, I used to love Bottom, you know, with Rick um, Vale and Adrian Edmondson. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I used to really love Beavis and Butthead. 
I know that seems a bit weird for them to be comedy heroes, but I was saying to my, my friend Josie Long, who's another comic, I, Beavis and Butthead had come on telly for some reason. And I was like, I used to watch this all the time. And I used to love it, but I never think of it when people ask me what to, what was I kind of watching when I was a kid and, and stuff. And as I got older, it was stuff like The Day to Day and Brass Eye and then Victoria Wood I really liked. Um, I used to watch stand up on telly like Joe Brand and Lee Evans. We used to like when we were at college. So um, it kind of started off with watching more like sitcoms like Bottom. And there was an Australian one called Let the Blood Run Free, which a lot of people don't remember. But that was amazing, kind of really camp and big and um, really fun set in a hospital. Um, Yeah. So and then I used to like music like. Tom Waits and Frank Zappa were like my favourite two musicians and they often are very, very funny, both in their music and in their chat between songs. So some of their live albums are brilliant. So it was a lot of different influences, I suppose. Um, and then as I got older and I started to do songs, people used to say sometimes that I was a bit like Victoria Wood, perhaps because I'm Northern as well. So then I've kind of avoided listening to too much of her stuff since then because I didn't ever want to think oh my God, I copied her subconsciously with this idea for a song. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, Josh uh, has asked about your, two in 2007, about your um, one-woman show, Lost, Love Lost in the British Retail Industry. Um, you toured the UK and Australia as well. And he just wants to know how rewarding that sort of, processes when you're able to put your own stamp on something that you've created it was really rewarding and is probably in a way my solo shows are the things that I'm proudest of because it takes so long to construct it and it's got to be 50 minutes to an hour in Edinburgh it's got to be a minimum of 50 minutes really so you start off and you think what is this show going to be about for me I normally have one song or one strong idea that I base it around and kind of expand from that um and that's what I did with that show I had a song that ended up being at the end and I was like right okay this is a song about two people dancing in a supermarket and knocking loads of boxes of washing powder over and not caring because they sort of love each other so much how do I get two people to that point so it was like telling the story of that um and it's so different from doing a 20 minute set in the clubs because when you go in in the clubs, you know, you've really got quite a short time to get people on board and get them to like, you can't really do kind of perhaps more sad bits or yeah, you can't take too many risks really. Whereas with your own hour, they can get to know you and you can do longer bits and people do in Edinburgh do shows that are kind of really challenging and about quite serious issues that are both funny and moving. Um, that's why I love Edinburgh Festival so much because it's such a mixed bag but it was it was brilliant and then when I did it in Sydney um, I found it harder than I thought because I realised how British the show was in a way like I had to change a lot of references even things that I guess we wouldn't think about like sayings it didn't have this in it but something like it's raining cats and dogs you just put that in and everyone would know what it meant and then when you take it somewhere else you have to kind of look at the whole thing and go you don't want to say one thing that will make them be thinking, what does that mean? So they don't listen to the next bit. And um, mm. so, yeah, I found it a bit, bit harder than I thought to take it to Sydney. 
Um, but I did really enjoy doing it then. I was with a really good group of people like Tim Key, um, who was doing his solo show and lots of comics. Um, so it was great. But I think I prefer performing in this country because I just, um, yeah, I quite like the weather here. <laughs> um, 2008, you secured your part in The Peep Show. Uh, alongside David Mitchell, Robert Webb and Olivia Coleman. What were your initial thoughts on your character and how do you think she developed over the series? Um, I loved the character immediately. Um, I thought she was very assertive and kind of vulnerable at the same time and knew who she was. I thought she was great. And um, I was very, very nervous about going into that show because it was a really loved show and it was has like real super fans you know it's not like going into something I guess I don't know like a I think you'd feel the same actually going to anything long running I'm trying to think of something where you wouldn't feel that pressure but I think you always do if something's established but it isn't the same as doing a pilot with loads of people and going is it going to get commissioned which is an experience that I've had multiple times since then and then it does get commissioned and you're really excited and you're kind of all in it together from the beginning I was sort of going in as a new person to series five um and I was just so nervous. I just, for the whole of that first series, I kept thinking, um, oh God, they're going to sack me. They're going to go, actually, this isn't what we want. And, and then it was fine. And as we went on, <laughs> I grew in confidence. And <laughs> yeah. Was, was Peep Show the first time you'd felt like that in your career up till then? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. Yeah, it was actually. Um, and I'd done, obviously had done acting before that. I'd done lots of theatre stuff. Um, and been doing Amdram and youth theatre and stuff since a really young age and I'd done a little tiny bit of telly but nothing where I was in something for more than one episode so yeah it was it was the first time I felt like that I didn't feel like that all the time but and they were all really lovely but I just remember feeling like this is a big step it just felt like a big step I didn't know any of the terms that you, that crew use um when they're filming and so it felt very much like I was kind of learning on the job and obviously peep show was unique in the way that it was filmed sort of first person perspective how difficult is it to remain in character when you've have so many sort of devices in the scene it becomes more technical than say something like a play where it's very simple and if you had to have an argument with someone on stage it would you could make it feel like it was just the two of you and I suppose with telly anyway it's more technical because you're doing something again and again and it's a bit like a marathon like you're you get to know the order of the setups and you think okay well this is a really wide shot so if I've got to cry in this scene I didn't have to cry in peep show but I've done other things where I've got to cry um it's probably I probably don't need to give it 100% on a really, really wide shot where they're never going to use mm. that shot when it gets... So it is it is much more technical anyway. And Peep Show is probably the most technical of them all because, as you say, the camera angles. <laughs> and it did take some getting used to. And I remember sometimes when actors came in, like, say, playing parents of regular characters in it, some of them were very, very experienced actors, but they were quite thrown by the fact they've got to do it down the lens because it does feel so unnatural and we're kind of taught to ignore the camera and um, it took some getting used to. But then you always ran it the first time with the other actor. So the first time you read it through, you were actually looking at them and you were reacting to each other, obviously. And then you did a 
a crew rehearsal. So you'd done it a couple of times um, with the other actor, and then obviously they were replaced by the camera. Um, and by that time, I used to try and have memorised a bit what they'd done with their face so that I could imagine it when I was looking at the camera. So mm. it was those first few read-throughs or run-throughs were really important to me because whatever they did, that was what I was going to remember to try and react off. Yeah. The cameraman's really nice as well for Peep Show, Nick Martin, and that makes a massive difference. That might sound a bit weird, but he was so lovely and so accommodating and had to do a lot of crazy stuff like getting into bed with David Mitchell because he was a girl's POV at that point and we had to sometimes kiss these lips on the camera because it would be like as if we were kissing the other person <laughs> and sometimes he'd find himself physically in like really weird awkward positions like crouched down for ages or and he was so great and so up for it and I think that enhanced our acting because it really matters who's who's holding that camera when you're that close to them um yeah Josh said, um, how do you think that, how do you think Peep Show sort of defined that period of comedy in the noughties? Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you don't think of it as like part of an era until that time's gone by. And when you look back, you go, oh, yeah, that was part of what was around then. I think the writing on it is is exceptional, to be honest. A lot of people think that David and Rob wrote it and although they did additional material certainly um it was sam bain and jesse armstrong who wrote it and then in later series um, some other writers like simon blackwell and tom basden but generally um sam and jesse created it and wrote the the great majority of it and i think the writing is so tight that like it's a classic sitcom setup. It's two people who don't get on really, or who at least shouldn't get on according to their personality types and they're trapped together. And that's the setting for so many sitcoms like mm. um, Steptoe and Son and um, Only Fools and Horses and loads and loads and loads and the vast majority, Father Ted. And in that way, it was very traditional, but it felt very modern, I think, didn't it? I think being inside their heads maybe and they weren't scared to to reference drugs and have characters like super hands and um to have people doing quite bad morally bad things i think that was one of the things that was really exciting about it it was like oh wow they're actually going to do that whereas i think in some scripts they might have thought about doing it whereas with peep show they created quite watertight characters really that could could go and do that stuff um moving on a little bit then in 2016 you starred as nat in joe brand's bittersweet sitcom damned surrounding goings on in social services department 
Obviously, quite a daring subject for comedy. What sort of responsibility did you feel as an actor to gauge the role correctly? I did feel responsibility because with Damned, it some of it was quite um, like true to life. Well, all of it was true to life. Um, what I'm saying is, that I guess some of it was quite difficult to negotiate your way through because they were quite challenging storylines based on real storylines so you'd have stuff like kids being taken away from their parents and there was um lots of stuff where I was like I learned a lot about social services and my respect for them massively increased to be honest my character was well-meaning um but often got the wrong end of the stick and in a way in in like meetings in Damned where all the other characters were having to be quite serious. Nat was the one who could just go, oh, I've been looking at the sky for the last 10 minutes, what's happened kind of thing. So I think in that sense, I was quite lucky that I didn't have to feel that weight of responsibility quite as much. Um, But I still felt that we needed to treat the storylines with respect. And I thought a lot about the real life situations that they were based on and I learned quite a lot from doing that yeah so um looking back at your career obviously all the different parts of it the theatre the acting the as an author the books we haven't really covered that but what would you say your proudest achievement has been it's a really good question because it depends what day you ask me like (laughs) I tend to say probably writing my Edinburgh shows and my radio series as well, which ran for two series, um, only because it was so hard at times. And when when it's just you writing and performing it, you have to maintain this belief in it. And it can be really tough if you go up in front of an audience and you try out a preview of your Edinburgh show and it's two months before Edinburgh starts and the whole thing just falls apart. And you think this is awful and I've paid hired this place in Edinburgh for a whole month and I've got to do the show and you have to really dig deep and kind of remember why you love doing it and it can be quite a lot of blood sweat and tears um so I think overall I'm proudest of things where I've had to grit my teeth and and kind of do it and I've been on my own and because they have been the hardest moments Hmm. yeah I mean I, I am also proud of doing acting stuff on telly it just feels a slightly different thing it's almost like I'm two separate people, yeah if that makes sense yeah yeah so uh, last question what's next what's next um, well, it's been a bit of a weird year hasn't it for all of us <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've been writing a book which has kind of like saved my brain I think for the past year so I was just really lucky that I had that deadline and I'd started writing it before Covid but I had another baby and so I hadn't done as much on it as I'd have hoped and it's just worked out that I've been able to use that as a great distraction throughout the past year um, and that's finished so that's called Jane is Trying and that's about um, a woman with sort of I suppose anxiety and a fear of hospitals um, who's who's being challenged in all areas of her life and she's trying to make her life better and I've really really loved writing it and that's out 
in July as for anything else I'm just kind of to be honest enjoying doing bits and bobs and thinking about I'll probably write another book I reckon and maybe get all the promotion for this one done and then start thinking about it towards the end of the year but that's the funny thing about going to auditions you sort of think that's what I'll do and then you can just do an audition the next day and they'll be like oh I'm filming something for three months so it can be quite hard to plan but the book is the main thing at the moment okay great yeah well um thank you very much for your time that's fantastic Thank you to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview. If you liked this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy. Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time.